Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series called Advent, All Longings Satisfied. In this series, we will be focusing on the hope, joy, peace, and love that only Jesus brings into the world. As we look back on the promise fulfilled in the birth of Jesus the Messiah, may we also look toward the promise of His return. Be reading quite possibly my favorite chapter in the Bible, a passage from that, and that's Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Um, as you're turning there, my name is Ian Schwegel. I'm the outreach director here. Um, I've been here, I think that's usually one of the questions. I've been here for uh, just over two years, and it has been a joy being with y'all. So, Isaiah 53, um, verses 4 through 6. And it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Um, We've met before, but my name's Corey. I push all the buttons and hang out with the students, Um, and I love doing it. But I think you can see a common theme this morning, peace. And, you know, I think peace is one of those topics that a lot of times we end up talking about a lot, but we always talk about it indirectly. We don't ever talk about, like, what does peace actually mean? But it always comes up in conversation. We talk about peace in our world, peace in our family, peace in our homes, with our friends and neighbors, but we, I don't think we we ever talk about, okay, well, we talk about this idea of peace, but what does peace mean? So I looked up a couple definitions, um, and the ones in the dictionary, there's two of them. The first one is freedom from disturbance or, tr- or tranquility. So basically it's saying we, we have freedom from anything bad that happens, and we just have this peaceful state of mind about us. I know you're not supposed to use the word in the definition, but Whatever. The second one I found is a state or period where there is no war or where war has ended. So it's this idea of lack of war. But both of these definitions just came out of a dictionary and they're very worldly definitions. So I thought, well, let's take a look at what the biblical definition of peace is. And something I wanna say at the beginning is whenever we talk about a biblical definition, we can't just go to the Bible and it doesn't have like an index of like, this is what peace means. We kind of have to look at different areas of scripture and different ways that scripture speaks to us and we have to draw out a definition based on what we're reading. So this is kind of what I've got for peace. Biblical peace is more than just the absence of conflict. It's taking action to restore a broken situation. It's more than a state of inner tranquility. 
it's a state of wholeness and completeness. So when the Bible is talking about peace, it's more than just a feeling that we have, but it's restoring a broken situation. It's takes, taking something that used to be broken and it's making it whole again. Whenever I think about peace, my mind always goes to um, the, a scene in one of the Avengers movies. I, I don't know about you, I like watching movies. I like superheroes. It's just fun. But in, in one of the Avengers movies, it's called The Age of Ultron, Tony Stark, who is Iron Man, who's played by Robert Downey Jr., throughout the entire series, one of his missions and one of his goals is this phrase, peace in our time. And eventually what happens is he creates this killer robot that has artificial intelligence, and it has the same goal as Tony does because he created it. Ultron's goal is peace in our time, but he wants to achieve that goal by killing the entirety of all population. He thinks the only way to achieve peace in our time is to take all choice out of the equation, to have a world full of robots and to take all humanity away. And while that's not Tony's vision for peace in our time, I think both of these miss the point. They're both striving for a state of tranquility, but neither of them achieve the goal of peace. So the question that I keep asking myself is this. What is peace, and how can we have it? We all long for peace. We, we want peace from our sorrows, peace from loss, peace from grief. We long to have peace from our hurting, from our pain, from our sickness, and the sickness of our loved ones. And I think ultimately we long to have peace in our souls for our angst to be fulfilled. And whether you keep up with the news or not, I think it's almost impossible to avoid the lack of peace that we see in the world around us. Families are torn apart because governments are more worried about money and power than the people that they serve. 15-year-olds take guns into schools to shoot their classmates. Humans are being trafficked because sexual desire has become king of their life. So I find myself asking, is peace even possible? And I think Isaiah has an answer for us. And what we're going to see is that our longing for peace has been and can only be fulfilled through a baby in a manger. So first off, we kind of got to do a little bit of a history lesson to catch ourselves up to where we're at in the book of Isaiah. And I think all of us, to a certain extent, at least have a bit of an understanding about the history of the Israelite people. We just finished a series through the book of Numbers where we saw the people walking through the wilderness. They were wondering God brought them out of Egypt. He saved them from an oppressive Egyptian reign and then brought them into the wilderness where he was leading them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But what we saw in this wilderness wandering is that the people continually over and over again complained and turned away from the God who saved them. 
So what happens? He banishes them for 40 years in the desert. And then at the end of that 40 years, they come to the promised land. And God, God brings them into the conquest of Canaan. But it, it, I, I would let you guess, but there wouldn't be much of a guess. They don't obey fully. And what happens is that they start marrying outside of their nation. They start worshiping false gods, and they turn away from God again. And that starts in the book of Judges, this downward cycle over and over and over again of the Israelites turning away from God, of doing evil in the sight of God, of God raising up a people to discipline them, to rule over them, and then the Israelites repenting and coming back. But what we see is it's like this downward spiral. As the Israelites started here, they sin, they repent, and they come back up, and then they sin again. But when they come back up, they're, they're, they're worse off than they were the first time. So at the end of the time of Judges, God then begins to raise up kings, and we've heard names like Saul and David and Solomon, and they reign for a long time. But even through their reigns, we still see famine, we still see war, we still see sorrow, and then Solomon dies. When Solomon dies, it's about, it's about 931 BC, about 900 years before Christ comes. The, the, the kingdom of Israel splits. You've got the kingdom of Israel to the north, the kingdom of Judah to the south, and you've got two separate nations. And I think it's safe to say that from this point on, there is no peace in the land. Eventually, the kingdom of Israel falls to the Assyrian Empire, and only Judah is left. And this, this is where we see Isaiah's ministry. This is where Isaiah comes into the picture. He is calling the people of Israel in the, in the kingdom of Judah, he's calling them to repentance. He's calling them out in their sin, and he's calling them back to Christ. He's saying that the Lord is going to bring judgment, you must Repent. And eventually we see Judah fall to the Babylonian Empire and they are led into captivity. And from this point on, the kingdom of Israel is never its own kingdom again. They are always under the rule of a foreign empire. Whether that's the Babylonians or the Romans, they are never on their own again. So Isaiah is prophesying to the people of Judah in this time before Jerusalem falls. And that's where we see ourselves pick up in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4. And Ian read it, and we're going to read just verse 4 again. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Is this bringing anything to mind? We'll, we'll, we'll get, get to that in a minute. If we were to look back several chapters, back at Isaiah 40, starting at verse 40 through around chapter 60, I think there's this, it's, it's considered by many theologians or commentators to be the, about the suffering servant. We see this character emerge who Isaiah refers to as the suffering servant, and that's what's happening here in verse 53. That's the servant that Isaiah is talking about. And what I want us to notice is that in this verse four, he uses he and our over and over again. So he says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So what he's saying is this suffering servant is bearing the griefs and the sorrows of the Israelite people 
that he doesn't deserve. The Israelites deserve the sorrows. The Israelites deserve the sufferings. And yet, the suffering servant is burying those for him. If we were to take a look at ancient Near Eastern culture, so the culture surrounding the Israelite peoples in their time, and we were to kind of do a deep dive into that, what we would see is that suffering in that time was always linked to something that had been done, to an action, whether that was an action that they believed was dishonoring to God, dishonoring to a God. The suffering that people dealt with was, direct, was believed to be directly linked to something that they had done in their past. I mean, we can take a look at the book of Job. I don't know if you've read Job recently, but in the book of Job, there's about 20 chapters where Job's friends are basically saying, hey, Job, you obviously messed up. Just repent, say sorry, and you'll be okay. I mean, Job lost his entire family in one day. He lost all of his livestock, all of his possessions, his house burned down. And then you've got these friends sitting around telling him like, look, Job, you you obviously messed up. That's the reason why this is happening. Um, But that's how in culture, in the time, that's how they saw it. So now I want you to be honest with me here. Have you ever wished that someone got what was coming to them? Have you ever had a friend or an acquaintance that just everything that they did, everything, it just got on your nerves? I mean, it just like rubbed you the wrong way and it made you so mad. And then they did something wrong or you knew they were going to do something wrong and you just couldn't wait until they got the consequences for that action. I mean, look, I've got three kids, and I can't tell you how many times I've thought to myself, self, I really, 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 really hope that when my daughter grows up and gets married and is blessed with kids, that she has a daughter that talks just as much as she does. But you know, this is how they thought. This is how, this is what their presupposition was that they brought to the text. Now, presupposition, that's a big word. Um, and I actually just walked the students through what presupposition means the other night. So when we talk about a presupposition, our presuppositions are any ideas or beliefs that we bring to everything that we do. So whether that's reading or having a conversation or walking down the street, a presupposition is something that we believe a presupposed notion that we have before we've even done what we're doing. So their presuppositions would have been that, oh, obviously they deserve the wrath that's coming to them because they did something wrong. But that's not what it says. So for them, they would have completely been taken off guard. They wouldn't have been like, what is this talking about? Why is there some suffering servant that's taking the place of the people that actually deserve it? The servant was going to bear the grief. He was going to carry the sorrow. But it's not because he deserves it, but it was because he doesn't. I'm telling you, this has got to be sounding familiar. So let's, let's keep going in verse five. The first half of verse five, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. So I think here Isaiah starts to really take it up a notch. He takes it to the next level. He writes that the servant is going to be pierced and he's crushed. And what he's showing us is how serious God takes sin. 
This is not something that God doesn't care about, but the servant must be crushed for the iniquities of the people. The fix for sin, the fix for rebellion, was not something that Israel could do on their own. It was only something that a savior could do for them. And I gave you a hint there. You tracking with me yet? Second half of verse five, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Peace, the outcome of the suffering servant's sacrifice was peace. It was only through the servant that peace could be established. Peace did not come through negotiations. It did not come through goodwill towards your fellow man. Peace came through the crushing of a savior. Peace came through a manger and a cross. At this point, the the cat's out of the bag. If you haven't put the pieces together, let me help. The suffering servant that Isaiah is talking to and pointing towards is Jesus Christ. He is pointing to the only person that could actually bring us peace. You know, I think a lot of times we as individuals are defined by the experiences that we have. And our hope is, at least my hope is, is that through those experiences, I learn how to better handle the next one that comes up. We, we want to learn to be a better person. We want to learn how to love better. We want to learn how to lead better. But you know, there, there's one experience that I think we all wish that we could do without. It's the experience of loss. The loss of loved ones, the loss of friendship. I don't think any of us are strangers to loss. We've all experienced it at some point. I know when, when I was in college, my cousin's daughter was diagnosed with a brain tumor. She was four. Beautiful little girl, full of life, full of joy. But the long story short is through the, through the year of battling with that, it went into remission. It came back worse than it started. And eventually she lost. Cancer won. And that experience changed the way that I view life, the way that my family views life. It brought, still does bring great sorrow. But what Isaiah is telling us is that Christ has come. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. And look, I want to be really careful here to say that belief in Jesus is not a magic bullet. It doesn't take away our grief. It doesn't take away our sorrow. We live in a world that has been wrecked by sin, And just because we believe Jesus died for us on a cross doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer. Doesn't mean that we're not going to feel, lo- feel loss. And it doesn't mean that I'm not just as angry now as I was then. But what it does mean is this, 
it means that we can look forward to when we don't experience loss anymore. That our longing for peace has been fulfilled in Christ and will be made manifest one day when he returns. So what can we do? We can bring our sorrow to the foot of the cross. We can bring our, sor- our, our sorrow to the Lord in prayer. Because we have a high priest, we have a savior who has borne our sorrow. And when, when we say to bear something, it means to take it up, to carry it, to wear it, to walk with it. And we have a savior who can identify. We see that in Hebrews. I mean, think about the story of Lazarus. When Jesus walked up and Lazarus, one of his best friends, had died, the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. Jesus felt sorrow that he had lost his friend. So we bring it to Christ because we know he can handle it. But this is also why we have community. We're not called to live a life alone. This is why we have teachers. We have fellow believers who can help us carry our burdens, who can encourage us, who can uplift us. Christ brings peace for our hurting and our pain. But this is not all we see. We see in verse five that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions and that he was crushed for our iniquities. And if we just take a glance at the rest of the Bible, we see verses like Romans 6.23 where it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And we see in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Or just take a look at the book of Acts and look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira who brought their offering to the Lord, but they lied about it. And because of their sin, they were killed. The consequences of our sin are grievous. And yet Jesus took our place in suffering. He took our pain. He took our hurt. And he took the wrath that was ultimately meant for us. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. Um, It's set in the World War II era. It's it's not a true account, but it follows the story of of soldiers who are sent into Germany on D-Day. And basically the premise behind it is there's a group of brothers who are all fighting and all the brothers except for one were killed in battle. These soldiers, they were sent to save, to bring Private Ryan out. It was one platoon, and throughout their journey, you see, you see them die, you see them suffer, and they're always asking themselves this question, like, why are we doing this? Why are we sacrificing all of these people for one private in the military, one final brother? And the, 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 the story ends in a battle, and everyone dies except for Private Ryan. And he is ultimately saved. These men laid down their lives to save one person. And he says, there's one phrase that sticks out. He says, earn this. Earn this. Well, we can't earn it. But Christ has done it for us. Because of Christ, we can have peace from our hurting. We have one life, we have one opportunity, and Christ has taken the punishment that we rightly deserve.
But that doesn't mean that peace is still easy to come by these days. I mean, the world tells us we can have peace. It tells us a lot of ways. I mean, and do you know what I mean by world? When I say world, I'm not talking about like Mother Nature or just this blue orb floating in space. Um, I'm talking about the news media. I'm talking about the loudest voices on social media. I'm talking about the people in our age that are deemed wise or have wisdom. We're told that peace can be achieved by being nice or being accepting of other people. That peace starts with toleration, that peace is achieved if we complete this magic formula, if we learn to accept ourselves and all of our flaws and shortcomings and sin as being okay with them and living with them. And if we do those things, then we can have peace. We're told that peace comes when you realize your truth. But that's not what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that God doesn't care about your truth. God cares about his truth. And Isaiah tells us that peace comes through the suffering of a servant. That peace comes through Jesus Christ. And all of this was brought by a baby in a manger. That's why we're celebrating this Christmas, is because we have the coming of a king. Because of Christ, we have peace for our souls. And this is what our souls are longing for. This is what they're desiring. And look, I, I, don't, I don't want to be all doom and gloom. But sometimes I do get bothered when I hear people talking about, oh, the world's going to get better. They say things like, oh, I wish we could just go back to when these types of things didn't matter anymore, or if the right president was in office, everything would be better, or if this was different, or if this was different, then everything would be fine. But that's just not true. The world's not getting better. Sin has entered the world, and with sin, death and decay came as well. I mean, we can look back at history, in the history of Israel, and we can read through the book of Judges, and we see that downward spiral. Every time people repented, they never got back to where they were before. We can look around, look around us and see that sin has made a mess of things, and it's going to keep making a mess of things until Christ comes back. And this is why Isaiah is prophesying. This is why he says peace can be found, and with his wounds... We are healed. If we look in the, chap in the book of Luke, chapter 2, when the angels come to the shepherds like we talked about last week, they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It is only through a manger that peace is realized. It is only through a manger that our longings are fulfilled. And that's why we celebrate this is why we can live with hope, because we know we have peace with our souls, with the Father. We know that Christ has brought us peace. That's not to say that it's not hard going through life, seeing the world around us. I mean, it's hard raising kids in a world where you know that they are going to get hurt, where you know they will face disappointment, where they will face loss, where they will face heartache, it's hard for us to be continually disappointed by people, by our friends, by the ones that we love. It's hard. But here's the deal. We're not alone. 
Not only do we have a church family who's striving with us, we have a savior who has borne our burdens. We have a savior who's won the victory once and for all. You have a father in heaven who loved you so dearly that he sent his only son to die on a cross so that we could have peace with him. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that Christ has done in our place. And that's the peace that fulfills our longings. That's the peace that gives us hope to push forward. That's the peace that we celebrate this Christmas season. You know, maybe you've been struggling to find peace. Maybe you feel the pressures of the world kind of pushing in and pushing down, weighing on you, and maybe you feel like peace is nowhere to be found. Let me encourage you in this, is that peace comes, the peace that comes with Christ is worth it. It's not glamorous, it's not flashy, but what it does do is it fulfills our longing hearts. It creates in us a peace that is beyond understanding. It gives us hope in a world that constantly tears us down, that one day, that one day we will not experience loss, that one day we will not experience pain or suffering, that one day when Christ returns, everything will be made right. You're not gonna find it in a castle. You're not gonna find it in a mansion. It's not wrapped up in money or status or friends. But you will find it in a manger. You'll find it on a cross. You'll find it in a place where no one thought to look where shepherds were sent, as we saw last week, who were the outcasts of the city. That's where you'll find it. So as we look forward to Christmas, as we're walking through this Advent season, as we're wondering where does our peace come from, remember that peace has already been won. That through the cross, through Jesus' work, through his life, that he has given us that same peace. So as we sing this last song, I think our leaders will be down front. If you need prayer, if you need to talk to someone, if you're struggling with something, if you just, if you need to find peace, come to the cross come to Jesus you have a savior and a church family who cares Father we thank you for your goodness to us we thank you that you deemed it right to send your son to die for us that he bore our iniquity that he bore our shame that he bore our heartache God that he took the wrath that was meant for us
remind us of that every day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.